Welcome to the July 14th, 2006 edition of The Relevant Podcast, the audio companion to Relevant Magazine and RelevantMagazine.com. Dot com. Aww. Rest in peace. (laughs) (laughs) We may never speak of it again. I'm Cameron Strang, and here with me is an... A truncated editorial crew, Adam Smith, uh, who you met last week, is actually on assignment in Africa right now. Oh, is that what we call it? I'm calling it on assignment, even though he's calling it a missions trip. Uh, the fact that we're getting an article out of it, he's on assignment. It sounds really glamorous. Oh, I, I thought he got fired. <laughs> <laughs> he just didn't work out after yeah, two days. The feedback that we got from last week's podcast. <laughs> anyway, here with me is editorial director Kara Davis. Hello. And um, web content producer Jesse Carey. Wow. That's the first time I've got a title. No, I, I, we title. mentioned it last, title last week. Oh, yeah. <laughs> In my introduction. Long term memory. Yeah. So, Adam, even though he's not here, this is still a very special podcast because a few days ago before he left, um, he and Jesse had the opportunity to interview Oscar winner Hillary Swank. That's right. Well, that interview will be coming up later in the podcast. Yeah. I, I mean, you guys will hear the interview, but I, I was really surprised for a celebrity of her caliber how genuine and cool she was. She's an actor, though, Jesse. Uh, <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> this was oh, acting oh, oh, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, yeah, as soon as she has to like, wait for it. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Finally, glad that's over. Like, her voice gets way deeper and just meaner. What? <laughs> she was in character while she was talking to us. Now, she's not the one who stole stuff from that clothing store, right? That was Winona Ryder. <laughs> oh, that's right. Okay. Wasn't that Winona Ryder? <laughs> this is what it makes sure. I was here at Winona Ryder and Winona Judd mixed up. <laughs> no, it's Winona Ryder. <laughs> yeah, she's in a scanner darkly, I think, recently. Oh, really? Yeah. She's still acting. But then I get, because of Judd, I get Ashley Judd mixed up, too. They all... Well, Ashley together. Judd and Winona Ryder look like they'd be friends, but Ashley Judd and Winona Judd don't look like they go together is, at all. Is every Ashley Judd movie the same? Is it like some kind of... You know, murder mystery with smart with southerner, little, with smart like, sassy like southerner, a little romantic intrigue thrown in. Yeah, with with uh, Morgan Freeman or <laughs> Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> like they just they they just switch off. Like okay, who's going to be the co-star this time? Well, it was Morgan Freeman last time, so we'll get Samuel L. Jackson. I would just like to say that my mom was her kindergarten teacher. No, really? yes, really mm. in Nashville. Yep. Do they keep up? <laughs> no, but I'm sure there's a special place in her heart. For a kindergarten teacher. Everybody remembers their kindergarten teacher. Mine was Miss Oyster. Oyster. <laughs> yeah. I, I remember my second grade teacher, Miss Ferris. She um she was this big African American lady and she called me Cameron. Oh <laughs> sweet. And I and I That's hated awesome. it. Cameron. All right. You know, we've gotten a lot of feedback that people aren't happy about us omitting the edit entertainment news or entertainment releases at the beginning of the podcast really? yeah i've gotten a lot of personal vile emails mm, so that's i've got nice. threats 
Yeah, I'm, so I'm, stop doing it in the videos of the day. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that it might be better to shift back. You know, we're we're small. We adapt. We we make decisions, and uh, and then we change our decisions. So maybe we need to do the ed- entertainment releases. Let's do it. All right. So coming out in theaters today, July fourteenth, we have you, me, and Dupree. I can't wait to see this. Are you kidding? They're it, so funny. It look what. It looks absolutely have you, have you not seen the same trailers that I've seen? I have seen the same trailers. This looks so formulaic. It's ridiculous. But it's Owen Wilson. Well, and he's I just hilarious. Ha- I just hate Matt Dillon. That's see, fair. I think Owen Wilson works better when he's in like a Wes Anderson indie type mm, film. Yeah. True. I can see that. When he's in this big budget Hollywood, you know what I mean? Because just, he's had some stinkers. Yeah. It's just not the same Owen Wilson. Behind enemy lines. Um, the big bounce, those were awful. Yeah. Mm. And so, uh, to me, this is him going, like, selling out on us. But, I, I but mean, what, what about Wedding Crashers? That was a formulaic big movie that was funny. It was absolutely vile. It offended <laughs> my Christianity. Oh, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and, and if okay, so if you don't want to see You, Me, and Dupree, we have what is sure to be an Oscar favorite, Little Man. <laughs> coming out <laughs> this talk about ridiculous I see, he doesn't even look like a baby I mean what? I, I mean first first white chicks was a little offensive to me just because not because of anything racial just because it looks so lame and they didn't look like women that offended you as a comedian yeah it offended my sense of humor wow <laughs> and now this but I heard the the weigh-ins movies make a lot of money. Yeah, like, they do. Pretty much whatever they do. Yeah, that's true. Well, according to a poll on our website, our readers go to the movies about once a month. So this may be what? a week to skip the movies. Are you serious? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The fact that uh, they want us to keep them up to speed on the podcast makes sense now. Yeah. So they're living vicariously through our banter. So mm-hmm. if you could have gone to one movie, we, well, we won't say calendar month, like within the last month. Which one would you have gone to? Um, I would have to say Nacho Libre. I still haven't seen it, which I don't know why. I, and I and if I had a backup, I'd say Garfield. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm looking at the Did, box wait. office results right now. Click is number four, and Nacho Libre is number six. Did, but didn't you say Click was really, a very... Very good. Yeah. And then what's funny is Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 29% Yikes. rating. I mean, like, rotten. And they get and the Devil Wears Prada got seventy eight percent. Well, I bet Superman got a high one too. Superman got a seventy five percent positive, and See, we all I, know that's wrong. Just because I, I and Nacho the, Libre got a thirty five percent. These people are idiots. J- and Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift got a thirty six percent. I haven't they seen don't, don't Fast and Furious about. Tokyo Drift, but that's my choice. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had seen that. Other than some of the other than Superman, uh, did you see? Have you seen uh, Pirates of the Caribbean yet? No. Yeah, it it's disturbing. I don't. In in what way? It's just disgusting. I mean, it's mm-hmm. disgusting. I mean, the They're entire movie. And stuff? Well, yeah. I mean, it's like these sea or well, okay. First of all, the story isn't that compelling i mean mm-hmm. it's nothing like the first one yeah this is an in-between movie it it sets up the next one that's mm-hmm. like it's like does. it's like the matrix reloaded it yeah. was just it was just a kung fu movie it's just one long action it just scene. sets up the next movie yeah. yeah it was the middle lord of the rings one it just <laughs> kind of connected the two yeah okay so uh so that's first of all second of all it's disgusting like 
like he wedding has to crashers, wear, disgusting, no, or like, like visually disgusting. Okay. Like he has to wear a necklace of human toes, and he's <laughs> chewing on the toenails. <laughs> and, and, and and like these sea urchin <laughs> demons, people, the undead, are mm-hmm. like decayed corpses and decayed mutated fish from the bottom of the ocean that come back you know come up so you have like people with these like a hammerhead head with like half of it's rotted off and he's one of the characters you know mm, you're nice. always looking at just absolutely disgusting things you know yeah. and i mean it's Except pretty for orlando bloom <laughs> awkward and it was like <laughs> All these little kids were were in there and crying and stuff. Were they really? There were kids. When I walked out, there were kids in the hallway crying. (laughs) I mean, come on. First of all, pirates are bad people. They are. And that's the thing is like they, they, they didn't gloss over it and make it glamorous. They made it disgusting and dark. Well, you know, they redid the ride over here at uh, Disney World um, to add did Johnny Depp into it? Uh, I don't know, but I no, they did. Oh, really? Yeah, that was, I He's saw him a on, a billboard, on the ride. But I, I think I've talked about the ride before. <laughs> uh, it, it, just like every other <laughs> ride at Disney World, you're in a boat and there's animatronic characters, <laughs> and that's it. It's like Chuck E. Cheese. Yeah, it's like describe it's to me in a boat. <laughs> just, describe to me a day at Disney World, and it's okay. I, I waited in line, then I got on this little boat. We we drifted through a fantasy world of animatronic characters, <laughs> and then we went down a waterfall. Whee. That's every ride. <laughs> so, <laughs> including Pirates of the Caribbean. This week, with your amusement park review, it's just <laughs> Don't go to Disney World. <laughs> um, okay, so that'll do it for movies. Gayerland was way better. <laughs> coming out in stores on Tuesday. Albums coming out in stores. Blackstone Cherry um, on Roadrunner Records. Bruce Cockburn is coming out. Los Lonely Boys is coming out <laughs> with Sacred. I wonder if it's a Christian album. It might be. Hmm. They had that Heaven song, didn't they? Yes. How far is heaven? And when that remade a Christian, by a Christian artist? Yeah, re- redid. Oh, I think it was a Salvador. Also, on N-Pop Records, uh, Foolish Things, Let's Not Forget the Story, is coming out. And Super Chick, with the little bracketed K at the end, is coming out with Beauty from Pain 1.1 on N-Pop Records. So that'll do it for your album releases. Uh, Next up, Slices. Listening to Evermore. The song is It's Too Late. Currently playing right now on Relevant TV. And right now, the featured video over at Relevant TV is actually what you heard at the beginning of the podcast. It's Mars Ill. The song is When Heaven Scrapes the Pavement on Goatee Records. And now with Slices, here's Kara Davis. Well, to continue our talk about movies, um, it's reported that Walt Walt Disney is going to reduce its output of films from 18 to 8. Uh, it was reported by the Daily Variety. And um, the Disney people are saying that um, in order to make a better investment for their Disney-branded films, they're going to be cutting back on some of their live-action type of movies. And, and they're not going out of the non-Disney-branded live-action business, they said, but there has been a dramatic shift. Okay, that is eerily similar to what we're doing. I know, that's why I brought it up. That's unbelievable. 
I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast. We haven't. Uh, last Friday, we issued a press release to the industry, so we might as well tell our, our listeners about it. In 2007, we're doing a pretty big shift uh, as Relevant Media Group. We are cutting back, just like Disney, cutting back on the number of books coming from Relevant Books. We are cutting back from 20 plus this year to a handful from now on. And the reason is exactly what Disney said, is just to be able to put more into those titles, um, to put more into the magazine and more into the online stuff that we're doing. You know, we're a small company and doing that many books spread us pretty thin. And we have a lot of ideas and a lot of um, momentum in certain areas. And we want to be able to capitalize on that, put more into those things. So you'll start to see a lot of changes with Relevant Magazine uh, coming up. You'll start to see a lot more um, visibility for Radiant Magazine. And you'll start to see a lot more online stuff that we have in the works for this fall. And then when we do come out with books, they will be truly unique, very you know, the strong books, you know, no filler. And, um, and we're really excited about it. It's just a shift for us, but we think it's a shift that will line us up more strongly for kind of the future that God has in store for us. So, Yeah, I think we were almost operating as two separate companies, Relevant Books and Relevant Magazine. And now the focus will be, uh, these new books will be Relevant Magazine Presents types of books that tie in, you know, more directly with our brand and our content in the magazine. The one, you know, the books that make sense for us to publish. Yeah. And the books we put out will be ones that nobody else could. And that's what's exciting for me is like, there's a lot of, you know, publishers doing books for, for our audience now. And that it's wonderful because they're all advertising <laughs> with us. Right. But you know, we wanted we want relevant books to be a brand that is so unique that when a book comes from relevant, you know, it's so unique that people are like, Well, I gotta get that. You know, um we have we've had a lot of good books, but we've had books that I look back and say, Man, I wish we could have taken a little more time with it. I wish we could have pushed it a little further and this will give us the opportunity to doing that and I'm really excited right. about that. Right. Yeah, like you know, Disney's you know, they, they've had successes with cars and in the pirate movie but they've had disappointments like stick it annapolis in the wild so just imagine if they can cut off the bad movies well here's one you you may have heard about this the department of homeland security who doesn't really have the the best reputation of um government organizations they recently released a list of spots that are potential targets for terrorism the, the thing is some people are a little confused about the list because Indiana has more places on the list than any other state, fifty uh, percent more than New York. And here, here are some of the the <laughs> here are some of the places that the Department of Homeland Security feels like should be aware that there are terrorism threats. Um, Georgia's Kangaroo Conservation Center. What? That's weird. Is it just because this is where people congregate? Yeah, but they're saying more people would congregate at a Walmart. Why specifically point out the Kangaroo Conservation Center? I guess the the weakness in security, maybe? Maybe. But also... They should train the kangaroos <laughs> to be for anti-terrorism. Uh, uh, other other hotbeds of terrorism are... Missiles in their <laughs> Ninja <can> kangaroos. <laughs> they can box. Other terrorism hotbeds are Alabama's Old McDonald's Petting Zoo, um, the Amish Country Popcorn Factory, <laughs> <laughs> Nashville's Mule Day Parade, Aww. and Nashville's Sweetwater Flea Market. Aww. So, but if a terrorist 
why why target the Amish popcorn factory? <laughs> <laughs> so you know, at least it's a little strange. It is a little strange. How um, specific? I mean, why don't they just say areas you know, where more than a hundred people could be? You know, <laughs> instead of pointing bizarre. out all these obscure, you know, tourist traps. That's true. So my husband and I were having breakfast Wednesday or Thursday morning. So was I. And yeah. <laughs> And Fox News was on in the background, and the um, interviewer was talking to someone about how the government is thinking of um, doing a cell phone alert system where if there's a terror attack or something, they can immediately alert everybody via cell phone. What are you saying? That means we have to give our cell phone numbers to the government. That's what the um, the host said and and she said well then if they had her cell phone number they could get her address and like all this information about us and this is a this was a senator she was talking to it was like the government already knows all that stuff they basically gave us our identity our social security number it's not like the government can't get that information if you give them your cell phone number yeah everything's gonna be different i just thought that was really amusing I, yeah, it's just he's so frank about it. Well, we already know, so it doesn't matter. You know? Oh, he didn't say that. I'd said that. Oh. Sosa Kara is so frank about it. <laughs> <laughs> just thought it was ridiculous. I don't want the government to have my phone number. They'll be calling me up all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, what's funny is my husband's a teacher, and the Orange County school system has a similar system where if there's an event or, or whatever, they call all the cell phones of, of the teachers and uh, officials or whatever in the county. And so they just started this and something went awry the first time they they used it. Um, there was a, a break-in at a middle school at 3 in the morning. And we got a call at like 3.30 that uh, it was a recorded message that the, the perpetrators had been captured or whatever. But it was only meant to go to the um, the officials of that school, maybe like three people were supposed to get the call, and it went to over like four thousand <laughs> teachers in the middle of the night. <laughs> so they, at, at college, they were on a, a big phone system, and everyone had you know just four digit extension, and the school could leave mass vo- voicemails for different updates. Like one time, a building got flooded, so they just sent messages to everyone, you know, mm-hmm. uh, or administrative updates or whatever. But some kids got a hold of the code. That oh no! Voicemails the entire family. Some kids staff. being Jesse. No, and I his had nothing posse. to do with it. And yeah. they left some um, pretty disturbing messages <laughs> on everyone's phone. Such as, uh, well, one of them they did like a. Um, it was a guy. They did, they remixed uh, an Eminem song. And made it about the school. <laughs> no. Yes. It, and it, I'm sure it's on the internet somewhere because, I mean, it was a big deal. But it, it, I, th- I mean, everyone thought it was funny, you know, but except for the administration <laughs> <laughs> who had their phone system abused. But DMX has a new six part series um, on BET airing Wednesday nights at 9.30 Eastern. DMX being a rapper for people who don't know. Yes. Uh, the one who got saved and then unsaved and then saved again. He's a rough rider. <laughs> yeah. Earl Simmons is his real name. He, and, ri- he rides or dies. Yeah. <laughs> um, this show is about how he relocates from uh, Yonkers, New York, to uh, Carefree, Arizona what? in order to get his life together. Was that an adjective or the actual name of the town? <laughs> it's the name of the town. 
Wow. <laughs> He's going from, <laughs> from like Yonkers to carefree. carefree Arizona. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, really? if you so if you want the um, adjectives in here, it, it's he relocates from the gritty streets of Yonkers, New York, to the open pastures of Carefree, Arizona. So he really did, huh? Yeah. Wow. So um, to, from the gritty streets of Yonkers, New York, to the carefree streets of Carefree, Arizona. No. <laughs> Um, yeah, so uh, Reginald um, Hudlin, the BET president, says, if you don't know who DMX is, this series shows you why he's a star. If you're a DMX fan, this series shows you a side of the man you've never seen. And um, the Tracy Edmonds, who's the executive producer for Edmonds Entertainment, says, I, I don't know what they have to do with it. Maybe they produce the show or something. Um, she says, one thing you'll notice immediately is how X lets you completely into his world in a way most artists won't. There's no vanity with him, no pretense, no self-editing, which in turn makes for a very entertaining water cooler show that the viewers will appreciate. Is there any is there any reality show that isn't all of those things? Like <laughs> right. any, any reality show, he's letting you into his life, right, you know? Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, never seen that before. Right. <laughs> um, well, here, uh, Chris Martin... Coldplay had a concert in Hong Kong, and before the show, they had a some sort of conference, and he was just talking about uh, Oxfam's uh, fair trade campaign and just how he's a huge supporter. Um, and he said that the reason why he has their symbol tattooed on his hand so that every time someone takes a picture of them, he's raising awareness. But he doesn't want to put his political beliefs. Wait, it really on, is tattooed? That's I thought what it, it was says. marker. I thought it was black marker. That's what it says. Wow. The twin stripe logo tattooed on his left hand. But he said that's a way he can not necessarily impose his political beliefs on others. But I thought this was interesting, too. It's pretty imposing. I have to look at that hand. Uh, Looks like magic marker. <laughs> the, it's a crappy he, tattoo. He, <laughs> he did it himself. Oh. Um, and he's Apple left-handed, it. so it was very difficult. <laughs> um, Apple did it. It's like waves. <laughs> um, I thought this was interesting. The band also said that they dislike... Uh, their debut album parachutes Aww. what they said we know that it's terrible music and <gasps> we always try to think about what we can do next i liked parachutes i but liked see, it better than the, the second with, one yeah that's the problem with any artist though. i mean i look back two issues ago and hate it that's true you know i mean it's just not that i'm an artist but i mean just anybody who makes something mm-hmm. creative it's like you you don't want to be satisfied you want to be pushing yourself to get better so i understand that but it's a great album they need to but yeah, i guess you don't want the band sitting around going we made a great album. Yeah. But at the same time, I mean... It's not terrible music. Yeah, I don't think it's terrible music. There's no there's no reason to say, hey, that was a great album, but we can do better, you yeah. know? Yeah. What if they start making music they think is good, but it's not as good as what it was originally? <laughs> That's sad. That is sad. I think, well, there's a, I think there's a lot of artists that do that. You yeah. pick up their early stuff and it's so good, and they're like, well, we progressed and we've matured, and their new stuff is just... <laughs> well, I... I mean, any band, when they first come out, it's it's new, you know? It's mm-hmm. a new sound. And that's what enthralls people is the newness of it. And if they just stayed there, the second album wouldn't sound new anymore. And, and, and people wouldn't like it as much. So, a band has to progress to do something new to keep people's attention, though, you know? Yeah. I mean, the second you kind of stay in mm-hmm. one place, your people will leave you. Yeah, I mean, look at you too. They've progressed. They just progressed the right way, you know. It's it's the it happened when when artists try to totally reinvent themselves, and you can tell it's for the sake of reinventing themselves. Yeah, but you know, but you look at you too. Look, go from Joshua Tree to Pop. 
I mean, yeah. Well, I, I'm saying like between. I feel like they did that for they were experimenting artistically. It's like when an but artist that, that's th- what these artists are doing. Yeah, yeah. I'm just saying like I, I just don't like it when an, when an artist like reinvents themselves just for the sake of doing it because but the, they're out of date for experimenting artistically. <laughs> you mean you mean like so, like a label selling them they need to freshen up their sound? Yeah, because exactly. Music is like this now. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You but, know? but I mean, for them to experiment artistically, it's like the, it's okay. when the Backstreet Boys go rock. It's like <laughs> you know, not yeah. that they have all that much artistic credibility in the first place, but was, when you can tell, it's a gimmick. You know, what I, I'm saying? I was reading a uh, fascinating article in the New Wired last night, and it was about the back. In uh, sync was actually on the front of it. It was the end of the mega hit. Yeah, I, I read that online. Yeah. yeah, it was really interesting. I mean, just how. In sync set the record in 2000, you know, for yeah. album sales and stuff. And they don't think it'll ever be eclipsed because how radically the model and technology has changed. And, and it's it's weird because it's not only with with music now. Also, right. there, movies, there's no there, the blockbuster television. I mean, you got 300 channels. Well, they know? said. I mean, I pointed out that American Idol is obviously the number one show, and it has an 18 percent market share. And in the 1970s, if it had an 18% market share, it wouldn't even be in the top 10 shows. Well, that's because hmm. you were limited to three networks, right. yeah. you know? So wow. anyway, I just think it's interesting that in television and movies and in music, the, the, the machine that can crank out uh, hits that hits everybody is just, it's over because technology is given us the power to find niche stuff that, mm-hmm. that we like. Well, well, we, and that's you where know, we come in. Well, Honestly, we fill a niche. You know, we're not going to have billions of listeners or readers, but we're going to strongly serve a niche of a certain type of person. Mm-hmm. And we are them. They are us. And that's the connection point. The Wired editor has a new book called The Long Tail, and it's a, it's about that very thing. Yeah, he, he wrote the article. There you it, go. It's just like the like. Why would I pick up an album if I only like a couple tracks when I can have an a la carte selection on iTunes? You know, I like I like dessert a la carte. I like dessert carts. I like food. <laughs> <laughs> I like eating it. Well, what happened to the dessert cart? Why don't they? I don't think I've, I don't think I've ever. I don't think I've ever experienced a dessert cart. What? Well, I mean, have you experienced where they bring you like the tray of the fake? But it's they only used got, to like, do that things. at Macaroni Grill, right? Yeah. That's true, mm-hmm. they did. What always freaked me out was when they would have like shellacked desserts. Yeah, they're like plastic. Or yeah. Whatever. Oh, that looks appetizing. Or I would always like, I, I this isn't really a really classy restaurants, but they have like the dessert <laughs> plates, like right when you walk in, you can see what they are. And I always want to touch it because it looks so real, but <laughs> it never is. <laughs> How does that ice cream stay like that? <laughs> yeah. Crisco. <laughs> Butter. Up next, an interview with Oscar winner Hillary Swank. Children swim. And we frolicked about in our summer skin. I don't recall a single kid. You are listening to Death Cab for Cutie. This song is Summer Skin. Because it's the middle of summer, we thought it'd be appropriate. It's playing right now over at Relevant TV. Right now we have an interview with Hilary Swank, who is in a new movie coming up this November called The Reaping. Um, she'll tell you a little bit about it in the interview, but it's um, it's a it's a thriller kind of horror movie that has to do with the biblical plagues. And uh, she plays a former missionary who gets embittered after her parents are killed on a mission trip. And so she dedicates her life to debunking miracles 
but kind of refines her faith. So be very interesting. But here she is. So what can you tell us about the reaping? I play a missionary who goes to the Sudan, and unfortunate things happen to her family, which makes her lose her faith and question God. Um, and then throughout the movie, as the movie goes on, she becomes a professor in debunking myths. And as the movie goes on, things start happening which she can't scientifically answer. So through the course of the movie, she regains her faith again. Wow. At this point in your career, you can be pretty choosy with the projects you're involved in. Uh, what originally like drew you to this role? You know, I read uh, a lot of scripts, and this movie has a twist that I didn't see coming, which I think is a good parallel to life. You know, you never know what life's going to throw at you, and I think that you have to remain open and not close yourself off to things that can happen. And it just reminded me of that. It was a great, great reminder of that. And I and I found that I think a lot of our problems in the world today stem from kind of fundamental religion. And I think that the idea of God and who God is, is getting lost in being too specific about the definition, if that makes sense. I think that everyone in their own religion believes in God, and I think that it's unfortunate that a lot of religions have said, if you don't believe in our God, you don't believe in the right God. And I think a lot of of our problems in the world are stemming from that, and I would like us to all be able to see that we all believe in a higher power. We all believe in doing good to other people. And I think it's a it's an important issue. And I think that this movie really touches on that. Hey, Hillary, Adam here. A number of the films that you do seem to have an element of moral controversy to them. Is that a deliberate choice in the roles that you take? You know, it's a real question. I don't think I am out there deliberately looking for a message or something to teach someone. In the end, I think I'm just drawn to these stories that somehow speak to me. And inevitably, they're usually ones that do have some sort of moral or human struggle within it. And I think that just comes from the way I look at life and how I'm trying to figure out life on a daily basis and how I don't have all the answers. And when I read something that makes me open my eyes wider um, or makes me look at an issue that I hadn't really thought about in that much depth or maybe even change my opinion about something that I had, you know, looked at differently. And if it makes me look at and expand my own thinking and makes me more open-minded, I am absolutely drawn to that. And I think that there's no coincidence when I now, when I now look back, when people like yourselves point out to me that that's been a a reoccurring thing in my career um, or in the choices that I make. And that's when I do look and I say, wow, I really am. I'm I'm a sponge. I want to learn. And and I learn from these stories about the human experience. And so I think I would say I just do it because I'm certainly attracted to that. And it just so happens that a lot of people, you know, who go see the movie say the same thing. And that's a a wonderful side effect. Um, When you're kind of talking about what drew you to the film... Do you consider yourself a religious person? I absolutely believe in a higher power. I'm not a specific religion, but I do believe in a higher power, and that's important to me. And I would say that when I read this, the idea of, is there something out there bigger than all of us working, that is definitely makes you think when you read this script. You think Mm -hmm. about that. And yes, that was something that was enticing to me. That was something that I think about. That is something that I've always thought about. So when I read it and I saw that, I was definitely wanting to explore that further in in, in the story and, and continuing to think about it in my own life. 
So you're playing a character with a pretty well-drawn-out background here. How did you prepare for the role? Did you do any kind of research? I prepared for this role by... I did a lot of reading. There's a lot of magazines out there about debunking miracles and myths, and there's a lot of people who actually go out and do that, and that was a lot of what my character did. So I read these articles and these books. There was also this book about a woman who was a missionary who went to do some missionary work and was murdered. You know, I, I wanted to read about that. But as far as the actual faith base of it, you know, that was already inside of me, so I didn't really have to go do any of that. Um, but I was just, I was trying to get under the, to understand what it's like to have such a deep loss and why someone would go through all the effort of a professor in debunking myths, you know, mm-hmm. um, how, how deep that sadness must be in order to do something like that and and the power of regaining your faith through the biblical plagues. And so I, I wanted to know more about the plagues, so I, I read a little bit of the Bible and just lots of reading of literature, really. Now, uh, you said earlier that you're drawn to roles that teach you something or you feel uh, broaden your horizons. What role would you say you've had that just most expanded your horizons and taught you the most about yourself? You know, I would say so many of the roles I take are so different in what I learn, and they each have their own importance in in opening my mind a little bit further. But if if I had to choose one, um, I would probably say Boys Don't Cry was a big one for me for a couple reasons. One, I was younger. I was 24. At that time in my life, you know, I hadn't experienced as much, and I would say I'm a very open-minded person, but I had realized, for as open-minded as I am, there are even some judgments that I put on people. I think it's only human to make a first impression about somebody. What I learned when I did that movie was, going back to the old adage, you can't judge a book by its cover, and I think that you have to give people a wide berth, and you can't judge someone by an idea you have of a first impression. You just can't. There's, people are too deep and too multifaceted. And it taught me in a really, not just, I'm not talking about, you know, gay, lesbian, and transgender people. I'm talking about people just in general, that it opened my mind in a very, very profound way to be more open and less judgmental of all people. And it's one of the most beautiful things about my job is that I'm allowed to see and go into a way of life and living and learning about certain things that I wouldn't have if I hadn't got those roles. You know, it's a real blessing, I think. A lot of the the films that I've seen of yours have really kind of stuck with me. If you could say you could leave one thing with audiences after seeing this film, what, what would it be? I would say to stay open, to not lose hope, to know that there's a reason for everything, to search for that reason, to let your loved ones know you love them every day. Well, Hillary, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Yeah, thank you very yeah, much. Yeah, my pleasure, you guys. Great interview. listening to air how does it make you feel i'm not asking you that's actually the name of the song how does it make you feel by air it's a good song oldie but a goodie playing right now over at relevant.tv so now it's time for your feedback and then the relevant update i have a good relevant update this week but first your feedback last week we asked you what movies pack an emotional punch for you 
And my goodness, there's a lot of movies. This, this that you may be about. the most high. We may have gotten more feedback since over Bono. this since Bono. Since Bono, yeah, I would agree. Awesome. Uh, and I was expecting that it would be like like some overarching ones. Like there, mm-hmm. there would be a lot of certain movies. Not the case. I mean, there's the hardly most, any repeats. Yeah, hardly any repeats, which is amazing when you look at how many emails we got. Yeah. So anyway, so now we'll read some of your emails. Daniel Brantley says the movie that impacted me most, at least the one I remember, is Finding Forrester. There I was, absorbed in the world of this young fellow who had no advantages and found himself working one-on-one with one of the world's most intriguing literary figures, William Forrester. After the movie, I was dead set on Finding Forrester's masterpiece, since it was my duty as a current English major finishing up my BA to read all the great novels. I searched high and low for the thing online at bookstores, etc. I couldn't find a single copy of it anywhere. I figured it was so popular I would never find the book. Then I somehow came to the realization that there was no William Forrester. <laughs> there was no great American novel and hey, I genius. was a fool. <laughs> that my friend left an imprint on me that will last forever. <laughs> Movies equal fiction. Oh, and this says embarrassingly yours, John, Pennsylvania. He gave a fake name. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Nick's Nick Swetnam. That's an unfortunate name. Nick Swetnam uh, wrote in and said that his his is the notebook. And he said, but before you think I'm a wuss, please listen. Uh, he and his wife saw this movie right before they got married. And at the end of the movie, when the old man and his wife die in each other's arms, spoiler alert, I, I haven't seen it yet. Um, I bawled like a baby. Uh, maybe it was the idea of giving a bachelorhood. Maybe it was a stale popcorn. But that movie touched me and I physically cried in the theater and swore my wife to secrecy. <laughs> And um, swore your wife to secrecy, yet wrote in so it could be read yeah. to tens of thousands of people. Great. I think the film that left the most lasting impact on my life is Like a Thief in the Night. Oh, yes. <laughs> I must have been nine when I first saw that the cinematic masterpiece, and it definitely scared me into the kingdom. Mike um, Hoffman says Testament. Zach That's Henderson me. said The Sandlot. <laughs> what? <laughs> the Sandlot. The movie that impacted me most was The Sandlot. Andrew Baker, who I'm probably not related to, says, My Life. It's a 1993 movie with Michael Keaton and Nicole Kidman. The North and the South. I don't think I've seen oh, that. Oh, wow. Um, Stacy Allen, who's a photo editor at a magazine. Interesting. Signs with Mel Gibson. Hmm. Hmm. Not The Passion of the Christ with Mel Gibson. <laughs> Signs. Signs. Um, Kyle and Amanda Steed. They say The Life Aquatic. Uh, along those lines, Kevin Sheen says The Royal Tenenbaums. It was a great movie, but... I don't, I don't think it had a lasting of, emotional well, it, impact. I mean, Kevin says the final scene with Hackman and Stiller in the ambulance, as well as what's written on the tombstone. He cries and laughs every time he sees it, but still. Here's one from... Oh, look, it's uh, Aaron Maurer, uh, former relevant intern. That guy owes me money. <laughs> he says uh, Goodwill Hunting and uh, more recently Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind and the Constant mm. Gardener. So. See, Eternal Sunshine and these like t- to me those those movies are like suspended animation emotionally. I mean, like th- they aren't emotional. They're they're artistic. So, like, where and, where's the Schindler's Lists and movies like that? Well, he, this one is um, th- th- this doesn't have a name. But I'm sensing a theme in these. Where the Red Fern Grows, Homeward Bound, Milo and Otis. (laughs) 
They're dog movies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Tony Bullard says Batman Begins. Sam says American History X. Sense and Sensibility. History of Violence. Sterling Carmine. I went to school with Sterling Carmine. He says Crash. Here's another Homeward Bound and also <laughs> We got Bambi. a duplicate. Of all the ones to get a duplicate for, it's Homeward Bound. <laughs> Homeward Bound. <laughs> It's just so interesting to me. I mean, we could just keep going on and on and on and on just reading all these, but it's like uh, there's hardly any duplicates. I just think it's so interesting looking at this that there isn't like a couple clear-cut movies that impact everybody the same way, mm -hmm. that it's everybody responds to different things. Okay, that'll that'll do it for the editorial question of the week feedback. However, we did get a couple other emails I thought were worth mentioning this week. Um, if, you, if you recall last week, uh, we talked about Adam Smith's time chair. And we, mm -hmm. we asked some of the readers if they had a time chair, send in pictures, or what they thought uh, Adam's time chair would look like. We yes. actually had a couple. No way. Yeah, yeah. Brooke Irwin. Um, like was Steve Irwin? Brooke Irwin was the first one to send in pictures of a time chair. And what? oh wow! He he! I'm gonna post all of these at duellikerealmen.com. Do I need to spell it again? D u e l like r e a l m e n. Look at his hair. Um, he and his, this the expression on his face looks like he just got through a time porthole. <laughs> Sweaty and disgusting. Bro Brooke traveler. Irwin uh, did a series of pictures. <laughs> he has a flux capacitor. Flux <laughs> capacitor. He has. Um, a time relativity beam and it's basically a bean bag with a with a room fan and a duck attached to it um, <laughs> and a big overture I have no idea and then also Philana Katuga uh, wrote in and she sent a picture of her time chair which is essentially wow. well you just got to see it I'll also post yeah. that one online I, I first That's I thought at, at first glance I thought it was a stool with a tennis racket on it. No, but I don't know what that it's is. It's just a very uncomfortable chair with <laughs> an hourglass sitting on it. Uh, apparently, it works for her though. Yeah. I, I can't mm. imagine Adam sitting on this all day long. But no. <laughs> um, and last but not least, David Uribe from Miami, Florida, um, has been sending us uh, pictures from Jesse's video slice of the day. Yeah, this oh. is a little disturbing. And oh. what David does is he goes through and he's noticed that Jesse makes a lot of weird faces so he's gone and freeze framed the video slice of the day and taken pictures and he themes them uh he sent us two series so far the series two from this week is called the open mouth and it's a very it's a variety of pictures of jesse with his mouth open <laughs> and they're really funny anyway so just i'm go gonna to i'm gonna have to deliver it like straight face from now on and but like a ventriloquist yeah like don't open your mouth yeah exactly just smile the whole time yeah <laughs> where's mm. the over overdub the voice <laughs> I'm just be staring like the video Not slices me. Not blinking with your yeah. mouth closed. The video slices me. Yeah, it's just a picture. <laughs> you could, we could cut the mouth out like on Conan. Yeah, you could do that. I, I really appreciate it when when viewers send in pictures and drawings and stuff like that. So I want to put them online. So go over to duellikerealmen.com and check out the pictures of the time chair and also of Jesse's odd faces <laughs> while he does the video slice. Yeah, I so. thought somebody would like draw a time chair, illustrate one, but no, they've they made one. They, yeah, they've, they've constructed it. Yeah. yeah, anyways. Okay, well, that'll do it for your feedback. And now... This week's Editorial Question of the Week. Editorial Question of the Week. We want to know which albums you think were the best first albums from bands. Your top three. So, so unlike uh, Coldplay, feeling about their first album, 
the right. ones that are the best first albums. Best first albums. Well, it, this is a personal preference, but Weezer's Blue album, uh, still one of my favorite albums of all time, and I don't think they've made a better album since. And I just recently read that they are taking an indefinite break. Really? Weezer, yeah. Uh, I'm going to say Bob Carlyle, Butterfly Kisses. <laughs> <laughs> that was not his first album. Oh. <laughs> DC Talk. <laughs> No, they peaked with Jesus Freak. Yeah, that's true. They reinvented themselves. They went rock. They did. They, that's you know? true. they went grunge. Yeah. yeah. I still remember the, the album. I got that for as a Christmas present one time for my grandmother. I was like, oh, sweet. And the, I remember in the, in the liner art, like it had like like a tattered jean with like a uh, like a sketcher boot, like pressing down a grunge pedal for the guitar. Speaking of DC Talk, um, long-time readers of Relevant Magazine will know of a um, of a little um, situation we have with Toby Mac and Cameron at a, a Christian retailer's... Was, was that two years ago this week? Two years ago. Two yeah. years ago, yes. Um, there was a situation where Toby actually snubbed a greeting from Cameron... <laughs> Um, this went on for quite a is while. Is there some but, news to this or something? But times have changed, and now Cameron is the one doing the snubbing. I didn't snub, but it's not—it's not Toby. And let's just say the bar was raised <laughs> with the snub factor. Yeah. Well, yeah. Two years ago at this Christian industry convention, I there was a big Toby Mac snub, and uh, of course, I'm doing little daily updates from the show on the website, and and of course, I had to let everybody know about the snub. <laughs> Apparently, it became such a big deal, uh, Toby's label called our office to, mm-hmm. make, to apologize and make sure. And I ended up uh, getting a voicemail from Toby, <laughs> like, a that week later. That is amazing. Um, uh, saying, yo, yo, what's up, and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Things like that happen every year at this trade show. It's bizarre. Last year, uh, I was in a poker game, a late-night high-stakes poker game with some very prominent Christian <laughs> figures that I've actually been asked not to reveal their names because it might tarnish their reputation. Let's just say they they've play. sold millions of books. Can I say that? Or no. Can... <laughs> no. <laughs> they, they've sold a lot of things. Um, so Christian anyways, products. Yeah. So that was my story from last year, although I can't really talk about it. So I, I'm going to the show this year really excited that another story is going to happen. <laughs> and no story really happened. The best I got was um, the last day of the show, we were leaving, going down the, the main escalators. And uh, sure enough, Stephen Baldwin is going up the escalator the other way. Uh, Stephen and I had um, an interaction last year at the show. <laughs> so anyway, I'm going down and uh, some of the relevant crews behind me or whatever. Uh, and then we get down to the bottom of the escalator and I see Kirk Cameron going on the escalator wow. so it's like well, I'm going wow look at that Stephen Baldwin and Kirk Cameron in one escalator ride you know where else are you going to see that Yeah. Um, so we get down to the bottom and, and Derek says to me he goes uh, so you got the you got the guns and the from Stephen Baldwin and I'm like what apparently as Stephen Baldwin was passing me in the escalator I got the guns and the from him wow and, and the little wink and, uh, and I didn't see it so I snubbed him so it was so. escalator, not elevator? Escalator. Oh, okay. We were passing each other. That would have okay. been more awkward. If you were on the elevator with him, there'd be really... That's it would what have I been thought. Like, smoke. how on earth could you have missed that in the elevator? Uh-oh. So he he was going up, you were coming down. Yeah. Yeah. And I got the... <laughs> but, I, <laughs> but I did And I the guy know. probably next to you was like... <gasps> and he's telling a whole different story right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's like, I got a... <laughs> <from> <laughs> <it>. Hey! <laughs> 
Steve. <laughs> what's, what's up? I always yeah. thought you were the best Baldwin brother. He has a new book out called The Unusual Suspect. That's right. Which uh, Jesse talked about on the video slice yeah, of the day. It's, um, you can go on the video archives and watch it. Um, yeah. Oh, I didn't know we were archiving yeah, those. Yeah, yeah. If, you, if you go to um, the media section, there's video archives in the drop-down menu. Just click on video archives, and right there is every video slice of the day. Back to the first one. Sweet. Hey. And you, you can just go ahead and skip to the ones that have me pictured in my wonderful <laughs> office tours. You should put a star by those. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> make them a lot bigger. <laughs> this year at CBA... Um, this I, is the relevant update, by the way, right? And now, with the relevant update, here's me. <laughs> um, it's called ICRS, the International Christian Retail Show. It's it's just a lot of <laughs> a lot of Jesus junk. Um, so I went around and uh, took a lot of pictures for you, and I will post them at duallikeroman.com. Sweet. I need to clarify this. Apparently, I mumble because I get a lot of angry emails. It is not do it like real men. It is not. <laughs> it's nothing to do with Roman. <laughs> There's nothing with Romans. Um, it's D U E L dual. Yeah, because the other one is people spell it D-U-A-L. D-U-E-L, dual, wow. like, real, R-E-A-L, <laughs> men, M-E-N dot com. Wow. If you're a new listener, uh, it has to do with piano dueling and how <laughs> these wussy piano duels do not duel like real men and that they need to duel like real men dot com. So, yeah, anyway. I've almost forgotten where that came from. Yeah, it's from the piano It's become duels. its own identity. Yep. So, go to Duel Like Roman. I'll post my ICRS uh, update tour, uh, picture picture tour. The, when you first walked in, the very first booth you saw was the Christian Pirate booth. And it says, <laughs> wow. a big sign that said, come by our booth, you scurvy dog. And everybody what? who worked the booth was dressed as pirates. <gasps> pirates are bad people, though. Yeah, apparently they rape and pillage and plunder and evangelize. I, oh, I, I just don't. I mean, obvi- I mean, I, I'm guessing it's just an opportunistic way to pass off stuff because yeah. of Pirates of the Caribbean. Yeah, yeah, it's a bunch but, of d- but like what decals are they, for your car. And is, stuff. They're just selling stickers. Well, no, no, they had other stuff. They had like Jesus saves bandanas, like in a pirate <laughs> font, and they had like decals for your car. So they didn't have like Superman booth. No, it's just pirates. I would expected oh. Superman would be huge this year. Well, honestly. I think it'll be huge next year. Seriously, oh. behind. Well, no, because publishers, you know, it takes a good six or nine months to put a book out. Right. Well, you would have to have seen the movie to be able to do books or products about that movie. And there's probably a, a lot of the, you know, Christian families who won't watch the movie until it's on DVD. And the director being gay, I think before <laughs> the movie came out, there was That's a lot true. of speculation, like, what are they going to do? you know, morally. So I don't think Christian companies were going to jump on the bandwagon early. I think they'll jump mm-hmm. on it very, very late. Late adopters. The entire industry is late adopters. Uh, but I, I also heard that, that getting these photos wasn't an easy task. I heard there was some... Yeah, no, you, you don't want to go stand in front of somebody's booth and openly mock them. You know, <laughs> do unto others as you Point know them do unto you. So we'll just do it behind do their backs. Me. Yeah, so you have to be real sly about it. So what we do is I'd position Derek and Betsy and Lori kind of in the aisle, you know, like I'm taking a picture of them. Mm-hmm. And what I do is I'd zoom the lens past them <laughs> to the booth that is, you know, 10 or 20 feet behind them and I'd take pictures. So I don't know how they turned out. If, and if we could, if I didn't have anybody with me, I would do a drive by. 
flashed as I'd walk by <laughs> with no flash because the flash would obviously give you away. It's like so, Pavarotti. Yeah. So, um, That's awesome. I don't know if any of the drive-by shots turned out. I'll, I'll, I'll look today and put it up at duellikerealmen.com. Did they have a skate park this year? They did not. It was such a bust last year. And there was a couple of things that I was trying to video, but when I, by the time I got my video camera out, like the battery had died or something. But like there were people playing the fiddle. <laughs> there were um, Sweet. you heard the shofar quite a bit the oh, yeah. a lot um, welcome there to were, the marriage supper of the lamb guy <laughs> there was some uh, Cirque du Soleil people walking around on stilts and stuff not actual Cirque du Soleil a oh. Christian Cirque du Soleil oh and man those, those funny stilt, and, the ones at Universal the guys on stilts like Beetlejuice and stuff creep me out <laughs> like stilts there's nothing creepier <laughs> Especially when they wear the long pants over the stilts. You know right? the stilts under there, but it just doesn't look right, you know? <laughs> all in all, like, the industry, like, it's just the same old, same old. There's nothing fresh. Seems like every year there's at least something mm-hmm. new. This year well, there wasn't. you did bring back uh, an exquisite gift for the staff. I did. There was, um, okay, so this was new. Um, 3D glasses. There's a booth of 3D glasses, and I was really intrigued. How are there Christian 3D glasses, you know? Well, if, apparently it's this secular company that decided to get into the Christian market and they made uh, these 3D glasses where if you look at a light so whether it's just a Christmas light or a light in your room whatever um, that around that light an image would show up and the the Christian glasses like the Virgin Mary no the the Christian glasses is there's the cross then one one of the glasses is the Jesus fish and one of them is Jesus saves I, I just the way you described it. I just don't want to give listeners the wrong idea. They're they're made of paper, you know. Oh, yeah, like, like they're not, <laughs> it's like three D glasses. What, what do you mean? An image shows up. It's like you kind of see it in, in the light. You know, it's not yeah. like uh, it's a not holograph. like these holographic. Yeah, yeah these sweet like virtual reality <laughs> no, glasses. It's it's a it's three D glasses. <laughs> and actually, what we should do is the person who writes in with the best answer to the editorial question of the week, we we will send you Ooh. top five top five people. We will send you. Some Jesus glasses. Oh, that's it's quite a prize. I mean, these things. So that'll do it for this week's edition of the Relevant Podcast. Much thanks to Hillary Swank and her entire publicity team for arranging that interview. And um, best wishes to Adam as he's in Africa for the next week, reporting, reporting on the scene <laughs> on on assignment in Africa. Yes. Uh, yeah, that'll do it. So I'm Cameron Strang. I'm Kara Davis. I'm Jesse Carey. We'll see you next week. And I always want to touch it because it looks so real.